You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Matt said we're all going to be doing uh, happy crappies and pappies. Um, and pappy is how God worked through it. Happies and crappies is pretty self-explanatory. Um, but as we're going through it, each one of us kind of has a happier crappy that has to do with any of the projects. Um, so you'll be able to hear about a lot of the projects that are going on. So uh, as far as for me, my happy would have to be there was uh, one night that we all kind of gathered in our eating space or dining area um, and just sang songs for a while. Uh, and it all started because this one guy, um, who's one of the Mexicans that lives down there, uh, Gilberto, decided to pick up a guitar and start playing a hymn uh, in Spanish. And it was just really beautiful to um, kind of see how the worship and the heart of God could transcend language. And uh, like we all started singing in English and he was singing in Spanish and it was really beautiful. So we kind of continued that throughout the rest of the evening, just singing songs and enjoying each other's presence. Um, and that would have to be my happy. As far as crappies go, and always probably will be, is language barrier. Um, I helped run a basketball camp uh, in one of the towns. So doing that and having to translate into Spanish to explain games is kind of hard and is hard for me because communication is super important to me as a person. I like talking a lot and being able to not talk to people is hard. So, uh, yeah, the language was really, really difficult, but it's getting better the more times that I go back. So hopefully one fine day I'll be able to actually talk to people. <laughs> um, and then happy, or the way that God worked, is actually not during the Mexico trip itself. It was the aftermath of coming back um, and still being able to connect to people like Facebook friends and uh, texting with a bunch of the guys that were still down there and them being like, we're praying for you and we care about you and you're part of our family now. And seeing that connection still hold true. Um, even after coming back and feeling the safety and the love from all the people, that was one of the one of the biggest God moments on that whole trip was the was the coming back part. So, can I call on someone? Sure. Yeah. Ezra. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ego. All right. So, did that that? Cool. Um, let's see. My happy, uh, so, like she said, we were kind of a bunch of different projects. Um, uh, I worked with Chris pretty much the whole week, and one of the projects we worked on was putting a new roof on a kind of part of the garage that they have. Uh, it had been leaking, and the insulation was all really nasty, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, Chris can describe that more thoroughly, but, um, we got to... Basically, the happy just that we got so much done, like good, useful stuff. Now they now have a garage that's no longer leaking. Uh, they can store stuff in without having to cover it up. Then inside the garage, um, they they worked on an orchard. Another group worked on an orchard. Uh, another group was working on a new storage shed um, and just putting up new beams and all that stuff. Um, yeah, just that we got so much done um, that was going to be useful for them. So that was. 
kind of what we went down there for is to help them out, help help that ministry get a better uh, base camp. Um, the crappy would be kind of what we started to understand throughout the week is just what the reality is for them living down there in an area that's basically under the control of cartels. So um, I think kind of stood out. We tried to go on a night hike once just up on the hill behind the area, and they called us back um, because it's not safe to do that. You can't go walking through the woods at night down there. They, you know, in the evenings they've got to come, they basically just go into their homes because it's it's not safe, and that's just the reality of being there. Um, so that, that kind of sank in over the week. Um, just those people that live every day, like we lived there for a week and kind of we were concerned about the safety beforehand, but that's just, that's their life. Um, so that was the crappy, and then the what, what God did. Uh, I don't know, just seeing the impact in the different people's lives beyond just getting the physical things built. Uh, building community with people who, you know, I couldn't stand anything, understanding anything they were saying, but... That, that night that Winter described, that was our last night there. And basically, you know, joining in worship with all these people who had completely different backgrounds, completely different lives growing up, um, but hearing their stories and how, how much they love God and God had impacted their lives in the same way that He had for us. Uh, it was, yeah, it's the same God, obviously, who, who, controls all our lives, and it's pretty awesome to see that. Um, just the impact is, as you're having that worship night, the different people. Um, and, like, on our way back, we got a text that one of the one of the girls that um, had been working on with me and Chris quite a bit, she actually gave her life to Jesus um, on our way back. So just seeing that impact was, I think, definitely the best part. And... Heather. <laughs> Thanks. Hello. Am I in a good spot? Is that good? Okay. Hello. I'm Heather. Um, <laughs> so this was my first time going on the trip, uh, so I didn't really know what to expect going in, um, but it was incredible. Um, my happies. It's, it's really cool to see how even with such a language barrier and we don't hardly know any Spanish, they don't hardly know any English, and, you know, hand motions only get you so far. And It was really cool to see how much we did get across, um, even in that, like, when our translator was needed at, you know, the Bible camp or whatever, they were working with the kids, and we didn't have the translator for the construction stuff, we were still able to get most of it done you know there were some sometimes when it was things weren't getting communicated very well but it was really cool to see the willingness to try to communicate um crappy would be (laughs) we did a lot of things that were probably too hard for us to do some of those beams man those were heavy um pushed a stuck truck with a trailer uh out of a creek 
took a couple hours, but we did it. You know, it might have been easier to tow it, but there was that wasn't an option. And every time it got done. Um, it was cool to see how even in lacking some of the things that we really could have used, how it all worked out and everything was still able to get done and only a couple minor injuries, nothing big. And then uh, there are a lot of things to choose from for how I saw God working, but one that really stood out to me was, um, so after we got the truck unstuck from the creek, um, it was kind of cold, so I went in and put on some dry clothes, and I was sitting there with my cup of coffee and my Bible, and uh, Chris's great idea, I had grabbed a Bible that has both English and Spanish in it, and taken that with me on the trip, and we were reading Psalm 8, and I'm sitting there with my cup of coffee, and there's this beautiful sunset. And a couple of the locals were unloading some firewood right right by where I was sitting. And um, I was reading, I think it's verse 3 of Psalm 8, I don't remember, but it's, uh, when I look at the heavens and the work of your hands, what's a man that you should think of him? Something like that. And it was really cool to somehow, with the language barrier, still be able to get across, hey guys! Look at this. Read this. Have them read it in Spanish and look at this guy. Like, um, kind of what Ezra was saying, how God works the same for everybody and, uh, that that's a really cool way that we can be unified, uh, even when there are language barriers and customs barriers and different lifestyles and all that. It was really cool to see that. So, Josh, you're up. All right. Hi, Hello. Is this good? Yep, you're good. All right. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Josh. So my happy for the trip was uh, similar to Winter's. It was that uh, random worship night uh, that started where we uh, just all sang together. And um, it you could just feel the joy in that room. And it was truly a wonderful experience. Um, I'm going to have to change my crappy on this one and uh, go with uh, what Ezra said. Um, you hear about the cartel situation in general, but um, during this trip, we found out that um, someone who uh, we frequently uh, visited every night to go there and uh, get treats. Uh, the husband of that house had to go into hiding and we prayed for them and we really saw how it impacted his wife and kids. So, um, before, you know, we just had a general sense of how the cartel situation in Mexico affects people, but having a real and specific situation on it, um, just really emphasized how this affects people uh, negatively in Mexico and that uh, really hit home for me. And uh, for Pappy, I'm going to go with just how the entire mission trip worked with the coronavirus situation. Before I went, I was really worried, and I was even texting uh, Chris and my mom about 
oh, maybe I shouldn't go. What if we all instantly get quarantines when we um, get back? And um, some assignments weren't uh, working out, and I almost had zero time to get them done. Uh, but I still decided to go, and it worked out. We had an extra week of spring break to extend any assignments. Um, we were able to get back into the United States um, without much issues. And it was just amazing how uh, God worked through that to make this trip work out before the coronavirus situation really escalated. So with that, I will hand it off to Chris. Hello, how's it going? Um, I'm Chris. This is my... um, Am I in the frame? Okay. Um, I'm Chris. This was my third year on the trip with Common Ground, um, headed down to Mexico. Um, It was just, once again, we found God gave us an awesome crew of people. There were about 14 of us from from Rapid City, and then we met up with another 14 from Montana and Wyoming. Um, Just great crew of people with all walks of life and different ages and stages of life and so it was I think one of my favorite is just seeing because we're mainly young people college students um, or recently out of college just rubbing elbows with all these other people and just getting great life advice and um, all that sort of stuff Um, my in particular happy was just seeing projects and um, last year we had put a ton of effort into building a dam for them um and it was cool seeing all of that still there and going strong and um, just in working order. Uh, it was also great. This year in particular over previous years, I feel like we had a lot of locals, a lot of Mexicans that we were able to work with all week. Um, whether that be on roofing projects or dam or, um, or not the dam this year, but um, there was a steel building that we were getting helping put up. They were talking about the big beams. Um, and so just getting to work with them and trade languages, trade languages back and forth of all of a sudden somebody's making a, an action and they're going, what is, what is it? That's a hammer. And so we'd, we'd go back and forth and it was fun how um, when we'd start stumbling through Spanish and trying to come up with stuff, they would flip and start stumbling through English or stumbling through English and learning words and it was just cool. Um, crappy, I, my big one was also with that of like Ezra's was, um, seeing the reality that is cartel. Um, he was talking about the one family down there that we, or Josh was talking about the family down there. Um, there was also a village that we've done a lot of work with in the past that, um, the cartel went after. Um, it's just a hard way of life that is their daily business. Um. And just, they need a lot of prayers for that. Um, there was one of the sermons that one of us, um, one of the American pastors who was down there with us gave on the Sunday at the little village. You could tell really hit home just because it's one thing when we have to talk about sacrifice. It's another thing to talk about sacrifice for the Lord when your house has been burned to the ground. So, um, very moving. Um, and then just for the pappy, 
safety is something it was awesome to see everybody stay safe um, and God keeping us safe through construction projects through vans breaking down before we even made it across the border um, or right as we were crossing the border having a hood pop and smash a windshield and um, just all the way through as stuff would happen um, God would provide and keep us safe so um, if you have any other questions about the trip, as of right now, the plan is to keep going back on back next year. So find somebody who went, ask them some questions, and yeah, let us know. Have a good one. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mexico missions team. You guys did such awesome things over there. It was so exciting to hear about what you guys did. Um, I just wanted to come back up here and just bring up uh, one thing I actually forgot to talk about during the announcements. And that is that um, uh, someone was wondering about the pastor search situation. And I just wanted to say that that is still on as far as um, our candidating process. And But the one caveat to that is that it will be postponed until we can find a time that works for basically the candidate to meet all of us at the church. So um, we're, we're still a thumbs up on that, but we're just waiting a little bit. Um, but with that, I'd like to invite Pastor Nick up to deliver the message this morning. So... I'll let him take it away. All right, good morning, Common Ground. Just a few uh, technical adjustments. I'm going to sit while we do this. So I tip this green all over the place. Here we go. Thank you, Mexico team. Oh, I'm going to use this. Uh, yeah, thanks, Mexico team, for reporting in on us and on that and sharing with us um, things that have been going on and what you were doing down there. And it's really awesome to hear that. And you, I think, gave us some really good reminders, too, about trust and working through situations um, in a daily kind of setting rather than, oh, man, we think we've got this all figured out and it's, it's going to work out great. So I want to use our time uh, as best as we can here. So I want to jump right into it, and so if you're uh, listening in or you're with us right now, I'd ask you to join me in the Gospel of John, chapter 18, beginning with verse 8, I'm sorry, 28. John 18, verse 28. Uh, we're kind of taking a walk with Jesus to the cross in these past few weeks, and we have uh, seen that this is quite a journey that he has been on in just a matter of a few hours. Um, we have seen him betrayed by Judas. We have seen Jesus denied by one of his closest friends, Simon Peter, um, falsely accused and then illegally tried by the Sanhedrin, and uh, it's been a long night. It's been a tough night for him. And now here it is early, early Friday morning, and the Sanhedrin is basically a frustrated bunch of, of city leaders who have now dumped Jesus at Pilate's doorstep uh, to procure a Roman execution. So um, some things about Pilate. Pilate did not live in Jerusalem. Uh, he did not like Jerusalem. He, well, in fact, he didn't like Palestine as a whole. He really hated his assignment. The Roman emperor was not doing any favors for Pilate by making him governor of Judea. And uh, so Pilate had some resentment about that, and he really didn't have a favorable disposition towards the Jewish people nor their leaderships. 
Now, when the Jews brought Pilate, or I'm sorry, brought Jesus to Pilate, um, they they socially distanced themselves. They would not go in to the palace because if they did, then they would have been contaminated and unable to uh, partake in the Passover meal. So they just they just kind of you know shoved Jesus towards Pilate, and then they they stepped back and said, "Look, we we just we want you to kill this guy. We don't have the legal right to do that anymore. You took that away from us. Uh, he's committed a bunch of crimes. Here's his offenses, and now we want you to make that decision to." have Jesus executed. Alright? So what follows is this really kind of interesting physical exchange of Pilate being inside his palace with Jesus, then going back outside to talk to the Jews, then back inside again, and then outside again, and then bringing Jesus out with him another time, and then back in, you know, it's just like it's a physical representation I think of the vacillation that was going on in Pilate's heart and mind during this encounter. Pilate is often kind of uh, portrayed as this villainous scum, uh, responsible for that very cruel death of Jesus. And yeah, he did have a hand in that. He did play a part in that. But I I think we should evaluate that today. So just a real quick look at it. Here's some things that we know about Pilate from history. Um, He and the Jews did not get along. We touched on that already. He was tribune over Judea. Uh, And again, you don't get that posting over Judea because the the emperor likes you. It's usually because, you know, well, look, dude, you're, you're causing problems. We're going to send you here. Try to get it straight. Uh, Pilate was known to be a cruel man. He was known to be a, a greedy man. And uh, he did not handle incendiary situations very well. Uh, in fact, that eventually got him fired when he killed a bunch of Samaritans uh, unjustly. And that was kind of the straw that broke the camel back. And he got kicked uh, back to Rome and uh, had to face... Um, a, a very strict job evaluation because of that, and eventually led to his his downfall in in history. Um, now we want to look at what the Gospels say about Pilate, and there's four texts that give us the story of this encounter between Jesus and Pilate. Um, one of them being Matthew 27 verses 1 through 2 and 11 through 26. I'm just going to skip through those real quick because my main focus is going to be in John. But when you read that, you're going to learn these things about Pilate in this encounter. First of all, he was greatly amazed at Jesus' unwillingness to defend himself. And you got to think about that. I mean, this is a guy that had to do several capital uh, cases where it would result in execution. And especially if a person was innocent and you had the opportunity to make a defense for the, 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 the case that has been brought against you, you're going to be doing some talking. You're, you're going to be frantically doing whatever you can to convince this guy of your innocence. But Jesus would not do that. Jesus just calmly, in, in most cases, just often didn't even have a response to the accusations that were being brought against him because he knew they were unjust. And he knew where this was going, and he knew it was his father's will for it to go this way. And it's important that we pick up with that, and we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. Pilate also was uh, intuitive enough to pick up that it was out of envy that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had brought Jesus to him and had this desire to kill, kill Jesus. Um, he carefully examined the case, but saw no evil 
in what Jesus had done. Uh, He didn't care about blasphemy. That wasn't on his radar screen at that time. And this this so-called charge of Jesus leading an insurrection and and that he just couldn't find a, a, a suitable amount of evidence to say that this is what Jesus was doing. Okay? Um... And uh, eventually he gave in. Eventually he gave in to the Jews' demands. And in Matthew it says, when he saw that he was gaining nothing, meaning, man, this situation's getting out of hand, and I'm losing control here. There's a riot about to begin. I'm just going to give Jesus over to them. To them. Okay? In the, in the book of Mark, chapter 15, verses 1 through 15, we basically see the same story as in Matthew. But here we are introduced to the, what I call the Barabbas gambit. And that's where Pilate is just doing his best to somehow get out of the situation. So he thinks, you know what? I've got this guy locked up and it's my custom on Passover to release a criminal for the Jews to kind of show leniency and that sort of thing. I'm going to give him a choice. You know, Pilate's trying to get out of his having to make a decision by throwing the decision back at the Jewish people. And so he says, here's what I'm going to do. You can either have Jesus, who, you know, in Pilate's mind seemed to be an innocent fellow, a nice guy, all that kind of thing, didn't do the things. People liked Jesus, he was popular. Or I'll give you Barabbas, who everybody hated, because Barabbas was a, he was a nasty guy. He just wasn't a nice person. No one would want Barabbas introduced back into their society. But that gambit failed when the people said, no, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. And then we get to Luke, where Luke gives us all kinds of good historical details. Luke 23, verses 1 through 25 is the story, uh, or the text for this story. Uh, Again, Pilate openly declares that he sees no guilt in Jesus. Um, And and then he tries another ploy, and and that is, I'm going to pawn Jesus off onto Herod. And I'm going to let Herod make up his mind. I don't really don't like the guy, but, uh, you know, it's kind of like Trump saying, I'll let Nancy Pelosi handle this one. And uh, so he sends Jesus off there thinking, okay, now it's it's, it's out of my hands. But Herod, he just wanted to entertain himself. You know, he wanted Jesus to do a miracle. He didn't really care about the claims that Jesus was making. He didn't see him as a threat in any way like the Jewish leaders did. And uh, he just said, you know what, I'm going to just, here, I'm going to give you some nice robes and dress you up like the king everybody thinks you are. Because he's kind of mocking Jesus. And uh, and I'm going to send you back to Pilate. So that didn't work. It comes, again, that's the ball's back in Pilate's court. He has to make a decision about what to do with Jesus. Um, Luke straight out says it that Pilate desired to release Jesus. Uh, we're seeing in Pilate's heart that he really didn't want to execute this guy. He didn't see a reason to do that. And three times he declared Jesus innocent. And back in that day, in that culture, both in the Roman civilization and in the Jewish culture, once somebody openly declared something three times, the triumvirate statement, it was settled. Right then and there. Jesus was absolutely, completely innocent. Well... That takes us to John chapter 19. Well, 18, actually. I want to start there. If you would look there, verse 28. I just want to read this and then a couple of comments and we'll wrap up. It says, They then led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. 
Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Uh, This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken, to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Uh, had the Romans not been in charge, then Jesus would have been stoned. And uh, But the scripture made it very clear. There's all kinds of Old Testament prophecy that Jesus would be lifted up, uh, that he would be pierced. And uh, we have, you know, a description of crucifixion long before the Romans were even famous for doing that sort of thing. Uh, it goes on in verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And again, another fulfillment of Old Testament scripture, uh, that Jesus would come to his own and his own would reject him. In verse 36, Jesus answers, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. So Jesus is making it very clear to Pilate that that his kingship, his kingdom is not a threat to the Roman emperor whatsoever. In fact, he said that if there was going to be a fight, it wouldn't be against the Romans. It would have been against the Jews uh, to protect Jesus and prevent him from being delivered over. And so then we get to verse 37, and Pilate says to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of truth, of the truth, listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? Now, I know a lot of people at this point, we, they, they, they think that, and, and I've, I've been in this camp too, where we think that Pilate just kind of sneered, you know, and very sarcastically, ah, truth, what is truth? You know, kind of a scoffing demeanor. But you know what? We don't know that. We don't have any idea whatsoever what Pilate's attitude was when he asked that question. And I'm beginning to wonder if Pilate was so troubled about this decision that he was responsible to make, that maybe his question is, I need to know the truth here about you. I need to make a decision based on on this. And I think he knew what the truth was, but I think he was really troubled. And that was a, maybe a question he was asking himself here. What 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 is true? Because I have to make a decision uh, on this man's life based on what is what is true. As it continues on, uh, it says, he said to them, uh, or after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at Passover, so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Goes on in chapter 19, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man which in, in essence is like him saying, look at this poor fella. This is, this is your king. 
You know, uh, what has he done? He's, he's, he's a beaten man here. He's, you know, I, I could go into detail on how horrible the flogging was, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip that right now. We'll just, just suffice to say that Jesus was almost dehumanized uh, by appearance, by what the flogging had done to him. And, and Pilate says, "Here he is. Here he is." When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" And Pilate said to them. Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. And when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And that's the key thing I want to hit on here with Pilate. He was even more afraid. Pilate was a scared man. Pilate was a man who we see vacillating back and forth, no matter what gospel account you read, uh, because he was afraid of what would happen based on the decision he would make. He was, he, he's like, if I go one way, <laughs> I, I could get in trouble with the Roman emperor. If I go another way, the Jews might rise up and revolt against us, and then I have an insurrection in my in my territory, and that's going to get me in trouble with the governor. Um, what do I do? I am in a lose-lose situation, and it scared him to death. Plus, his wife had warned him, also, have nothing to do with this righteous man. For I've had a dream about him. And so he's beginning to think maybe there's something about this, the supernatural quality of, 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 of who he is. But again, he has no idea of knowing. And, 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 and based on his ignorance, he's, he's just scared to death. So he enters his headquarters again, verse 9. And he says to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, Will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. That's where we really get the crux of what is going on here. I want to change the word authority to control. Because it's the same thing, right? Pilate says, why don't you answer me? Don't you know I have control here? Don't you know that I have the control to either execute you or to set you free? And Jesus' response was, you wouldn't have any control at all unless my father allowed you to have that. Pilate is a man who is not in as much control as he thinks he is. And he's in trouble. That's the lesson for us. We, everybody here, we are not in control of what we think we are in control of. And maybe that's why we're freaking out a little bit with this COVID-19 situation. If it's revealing anything to us, it's this. We are a people who worship and bow down to the golden calf of control. And as soon as we find out we're not in control, wigs us out, just like Pilate was wigging out here. Uh, you know, it was told to us that Jesus would come and the government would rest on his shoulders. You know what that means? He'd be in control. 
Now, and a lot of us are going, well, you know, the government needs to fix this situation with this virus. They can't. They don't have enough control to do that. I mean, look at the people that run our country. All the way across the board, no matter what party they're from, it's very clear they do not have control of the situation. The CDC does not have control of this situation. The hospitals, the doctors, don't have control over this, and neither do you or I. This is beyond our control. The only thing that the government can do, the only thing that the CDC can do, the only thing that the hospitals and doctors can do, the only thing that you and I can do is just respond. Now, we can respond with wisdom. We can respond taking precautions, right? I mean, I get in my car, I fasten my seatbelt. That's a precaution. But I'm not in control of all you other people that are out there driving. Something could still happen. You know, even if COVID-19 did not rear its ugly head upon the the skyline of, of, of our existence here, we need to know that we are not in control. The only one that is, is the one in this story, Jesus Christ. That's the thing we should see, is that through this entire time, when it looks like, when it appears like, Christ's life is just folding in on him, and everything is going awry, and it's coming to a catastrophic end, that the whole time, Jesus Christ calmly maintains control. And the reason that he was able to do that was because back in the garden, remember how Justin started this series off about a garden? Back in the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam and Eve, I'm going to give you authority. I'm going to give you control. But there's one thing I'm not going to give you control over, and that's over everything. And they tried to take it. And that's what led us to where we are today in our own lives, and our own existence. We try to be in control of everything. We try to take God's place. Even Jesus would not do that, even being God. While he was in the second garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, as he was looking ahead at the cross, he said, I don't, you know, if, if, if I could, I would not do this. I'd go the other direction. But he said, Father, your will be done. And when he said that, he was saying, Father, you take control. You take control. I'm going to suggest that that's what I need, it's what you need, it's what this country needs, it's what this whole world needs, is to right now do what Jesus did and say, Father, you take control, because I don't have it. Pilate is a very good portrait of somebody who thinks he's in control, but really is not. And you know, Pilate, he just fades off into the mists of history. After this story and after uh, his um, getting kicked out of Judea by the Roman emperor, um, we see no more of Pilate. There's theories that he might have committed suicide or something, but we have no hard evidence on that. All we know is that he just basically faded away. But Christ remained. Jesus became more prominent. Everybody is learning the name of Jesus Christ. Very few people know who Pontius Pilate is because he was the one truly in control.
So as I close today, let me ask that question. Have you really let Jesus be in control of your life? Has maybe this situation and all the fears and uncertainty and frustrations and everything else that have arisen because of it um, begin begun to reveal to you uh, that you really don't have any control over those things? Um, if there's a marriage and somebody's trying to control his spouse, that, that doesn't work. That becomes abusive. Um, we cannot control our spouse. We can't control our kids. Uh, well, to an extent we can, but they're going to make stupid decisions more than likely. We're not in control of that. You can be the best parent in the world, and your kid might make a really, really bad choice. As I said, we get in the car, we strap on our seatbelts, we have our insurance, all these things. We, we take precautions, but taking precautions isn't being in control. None of us know what a day holds for us. We're warned in the book of James, those of you who say we should go to such and such city and do such and such a thing, uh, so you fools, you should say, if God wills. If God is in control, this will happen. I think today is a fantastic day for all of us to drop before Jesus and say, Lord, take control. Maybe it's the first time you've ever even thought about doing that. And maybe God has brought you to this point, to this day, just for that. To let Him be in control of your life. And, like me, maybe it's the thousandth time I've needed to drop on my face before God and say, I am not in control here. And I'm a fool to think that I am. I trust you. I trust you. So let's do that. Common Ground, anybody else who's tuning in, what an opportunity we have um, to release that false concept of control over our lives and to put it where it belongs, back into the hands of God our Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for the, the Bible that records these these crazy wild events that were going on and uh, again you know as we look at this we can see ourselves in the players of the story we can begin to see in the story um, the reality of humanity and and it's not nice it's not fun to find out how similar to Pontius Pilate we all are but we can learn something from that but most importantly, Lord, what we need to see is the contrast of, of Jesus Christ. That even though he's, he's, he's God in human form, he's nothing like us when it comes to control. He was completely surrendered to your will, Father. And surrendering himself to your will meant going to the cross. He was in control of that walk all the way up to his death and beyond. Nobody else was. Peter wasn't. Judas wasn't. The Roman government wasn't. The Jewish leadership was not. 
Christ alone was in control. And Lord, we need to take that into our situation today, whether it be the COVID-19 thing or whether it just be the upheaval of life in general. Even after this virus passes, Lord, we'll still have to go into life as regular human beings. Lord, we need you to be in control. We, We need you to truly be the king that you came to be. We're sorry that you had to wear a crown of thorns and that you had to be scourged and that you had to be mocked to get to your throne. But Lord, we are so grateful that you were willing to do whatever it takes to be with us. And if there's anything we see in this story, God, that while while Pilate was spiraling out of control, you were resolute in your purpose to do whatever it takes to be with us. So Lord Jesus, be with us today. Hear our prayers, O God. May we be found humble before you. May we be found willing to say, Lord, take my life and let it be. Lord, shape me, mold me, make me by your hands, by your direction, and not by my own. Or maybe just simply, Lord, I'm making a mess of this. Take my life and straighten it out. Make it what it ought to be. And thank you, God, that you are faithful. In your grace, in your mercy, in your goodness, and because of the work accomplished at that cross, and through the power of your resurrection, that you can make those things happen. Lord, take control, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.